Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now... So welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Show. All you folks returning, thank you very much for listening again. And those new to this, because you like what we're talking about today, we're going to talk about this this thing called Internet of Things, IOT, if you've ever seen that acronym, and the impact and the benefit that it's having on the way we do business and commerce today, and very much how it is um, going to affect the recovery at a worldwide basis, our ability to recover and get back to a new, whatever the new normal is, you know, post pandemic, right? And so I have a very uh, special guest today that has an ex- exciting history and track record. And I'm going to introduce him in uh, just a second. But let me, I have to share a personal experience when I always had to do this to set the stage. Because if you've been working with angel investors or the things and stuff that I've been around along, anybody that listens knows I always seem to have one of those experiences. So, but this is with my corporate gig back with IBM years ago. And I remember when Bluetooth was just coming out at the time. And they were talking about these smart cubicles and we were going to have our printer connected to a computer and a this and then that and your inventory management. And I remember sitting in these things where we were going to put these things on all kinds of file cabinets and, oh, the problem the military was having tracing their inventory and the gazillions of dollars that businesses had lost of, of materials, you know, desks or whatever, because they're sitting someplace and they have no idea of things. And Bluetooth was going to solve all that. And we were like, What? What, what would be the purpose of those things being connected? That just doesn't make any sense. What we had was a limited vision of what was on the other side of that. When you got a computer, it's not just what they're connected to. It's what that computer or that chip or that smart chip that we call today is connected to up in the back then. It was not called the cloud. It was, you know, uh, virtual memory and uh, other things that we called it back then. So uh, there wasn't software as a service. It was application solutions providers and things like that. But uh, so anyway, you know, it, we had no idea that connecting all of these devices, these things, these materials to the Internet. And what would that mean? And what we have gone from now that we all, we almost take for granted, you got a refrigerator that can order milk for you or you got, you know, security to be able to know that when you're miles away, something's happened at a facility or the cost savings of being able to manage when your electricity turns on and off. And if there's a problem with something before there's a problem with something. Well, my guest, Ron Rock of MicroShare, it's called MicroShare, the website's microshare.io. But uh, he takes pride in his ability to connect those dots before others even know where the dots are to, to connect with. That's And that's the true statement. And with Billions of new IoT connected smart devices coming online every year, generating new data and new uses for one, managing the safety of employees and customers as we emerge out of the worst pandemic in 100 years. My guest, Ron Rock, is the CEO of MicroShare, microshare.io, that works to help businesses drive new business models that enable the capturing, tracking, tracing, and storing of data events 
and information while respecting privacy, security, and compliance. Before founding MicroShare, Ron spent about a third of his career with Fortune 500 companies and the other two thirds with entrepreneurial startups. And although primarily in endeavors of financial services and insurance industries, technology has always played a key role in his life's work. After his startup, Knowledge Rules, a highly specialized business process management technology firm was acquired by Accenture in 2010, Juan was hungry to find new dots to connect and that became his new passion, IoT and data management. So welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Show, Ron. Thank you, Karen. Glad to be here. And wow, after that IoT introduction, I think we can call it a wrap. You, you uh, got the whole thing right there. <laughs> no, no. The, the good thing about being a, a show host with so many great people like that, I know this much, a smidgen of what you know. And so that's just enough to make me dangerous, but that's why I have to ask you the questions, right? And you get there. You go. You know a lot about a lot of different things, though. So good a for little, you. Yes, I do. So, all right. So what I want to know is, um, um, as we got it, as we get into this, uh, what what made you what 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 made you go like, oh, this Internet of Things, this is the wave of the future, you know? What is what what led to you? having a passion for that and starting MicroShare? Sure, so we didn't start out with IoT. We started MicroShare eight and a half years ago. And uh, at the time, IoT was really not even on the forefront of our, of our expectations. We're really software guys at the end of the day. Um, our last company, we grew globally. It had some of the largest companies in the world, HSBC, GE, American Express were our clients. So think big, scalable, resilient, secure data. That's the pedigree of my team. And so when we started this company, we were intrigued with helping enterprise integrate with cloud and mobile. Literally overnight, you know, the enterprise spent trillions of dollars over 30 years locking everything down. And suddenly they're being asked to take their precious secure data and share it with things like salesforce.com or DocuSign. Yeah. Employees are coming into work after holiday break saying, hey, I want to do my email on my new iPhone or my new Android. And the desktop was being being ripped away and, and everything's going out into the cloud. And so the, the origins of our company and our software was to help enterprise begin bringing that data together from lots of disparate sources in a secure way. And the name MicroShare why do you bring that data together? Because you want to share it. You want to share your customer contact information with your salesforce.com. You want to share your documents with a DocuSign to get it signed out in the cloud. And so how do you do that in a secure, compliant way? And one of our large Fortune 500 customers five years ago was starting to get into the internet, IoT, Internet of Things. And IoT is, is similar to your description. I like to say that we're going to put sensors on virtually everything in our physical world everything and why are we going to do that we do that because one it extends the quality and life itself and so we will live longer our planet will live longer we'll pollute less we'll be more efficient so all of those things are benefits of us bringing these sensors together and why haven't we done it until now because the economics just didn't make sense you didn't have AWS or Microsoft Azure or IBM Watson or Google Analytics available for dollars a month. 
the infrastructure that we needed to plug these sensors in just didn't exist. And the sensors themselves, many of them are getting to under $20 with a five-year battery life. What does that mean? I don't have to worry about now installing these sensors. Think about tearing open walls like we did in warehouses and mm -hmm. hospitals for RFID, all that type of stuff. So we had a customer that was who understood this and they're, they're getting ready to go into IoT in a big way. And they chose our software as the platform to bring the data together for all these sensors. And when we dug under the covers, we realized that IoT was the problem that we were solving for for the last 20 years, mm -hmm. but it wasn't going to be thousands of data sources. It was going to be billions. Right. And all these data sources have different formats. They have different backend systems. They're regulated. Some of it's healthcare. Healthcare is regulated by country. Some of it is around privacy. That's regulated by state in the United States and by country in the rest wow. of the world. Wow, wow. And so, so bringing this complexity together turns out it's a really hard thing to do because IoT is a combination of physical sensors sensing something, some communications protocol. You mentioned Bluetooth earlier. Is it Bluetooth? Is it Wi-Fi? Is right. it is it 5G or 4G? Is it narrowband? Is it Zigbee? Then great, you've got a wireless airwave. Where does it go? What's on the receiving end? And is the data encrypted? Is it packed? What format it is in? So I have to bring all this together because at the end of the day, you want your IoT to behave like the idiot light on your dashboard on your car. There's 50 things that that light can mean and they're all really complicated. The braking system, the anti-lock, the exhaust, the fuel pump, the pressure, all this stuff. But when that light goes on, what does it tell anybody who's driving a car? Hey, something's wrong with my engine. I need to stop and get it looked at. It's the same thing with IoT. There's so much data out there. And just because I give you data about your refrigeration door, your where your dog or cat is, was that manhole cover uh, opened <laughs> or closed? Uh, all of these, you know, the, at a granular level, the CO2 in the air, is there a leak in my, in my basement? All of that raw data really just needs to be synthesized into a simple action, an, an actionable insight. And so IoT is really complex. We figured we would take our core competency in complex, scalable software, begin bundling all that together. And that's how we got into IoT. So I'd like to thank that Fortune customer of mine five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> they know who they are. And uh, um, since then, we went all in. We stopped doing all the corporate enterprise work with mobile and cloud. And we just went all in to be an IoT solution provider. Yeah, so that was, I mean, because there's so many sort of uh, specific functions, you know, I mentioned, you know, the, the smart buildings, e-buildings, you know, that are trying to be more energy efficient and, and things like that. And then there's, you know, these other kinds of things that people do, but you've done two, I think two sort of pivots in the one and the way you connect everything that makes it, um, I do some, uh, you know, that makes it where it's uh the, it's passively collected, but also um, it's not subject to the inequities that we see within our own country in America between where, who has Wi-Fi, who has broadband, you know, who has a smartphone, who has these things, are they young and old, do they know how to use technology, all that. And then there's also what you've done, which I think is probably 
I mean, be, I, and I'm interested to hearing how those kind of, I think they kind of converged because all of a sudden nobody expected this black swan of a pandemic to hit us. But all of a sudden there's a real need for uh, the micro dots of data and knowing that. And so d was there a, a huge re-engineering or were you as really able to pivot to provide the solution that you did with this whole contract, you know, the things that you're doing right now that we're going to get into when it comes to- cool. Well, cool. That. So, so there's two two big questions there. So let me let me hit the first one. The we started out as software guys, and you and I had a, a brief introductory call before this this uh, recording, and you were talking about how you built this platform and you struggled to buy it. People struggled to buy it. We had exactly the same thing. We built this amazing IoT platform. It's an IoT platform, yay! And we would go to all these global trade shows, and we'd be there with IBM and Amazon and Microsoft and all the big boys. And by the second cocktail, we've all <laughs> been to trade shows. We've all been to trade shows, right? By the second cocktail, as the 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 customers have left, and now it's just the vendors. Everybody's hey 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 hey, you got a customer? You got a customer? And and we realized that this, it was an entire industry of stuff looking for a market. Yes. And so the analogy I use is I was selling a camshaft and you were selling brakes and somebody else was selling an entertainment system. But guess what the market wanted? They wanted a car. And oh, by the way, a red one would be nice. Yeah. And so as simple as it seems, we were the first company to combine all of those pieces. Best of breed sensors, best of breed communications network, best of breed cloud, our software, pre-built applications on the front end. And we started selling business solutions, occupancy, predictive cleaning, environmental monitoring, waste management, smart parking. I like to say tongue in cheek, most of my customers can't spell IOT. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know or care what they, you know, every one of those pieces is critical. Just like the camshaft is absolutely a key. Car doesn't work without it. And it's probably the most important part of the performance of a car. Most people don't know about it. Most people don't care. They want to push the pedal and the car goes fast and they want it to be red. Yeah. That's what we did with IoT. We grossly simplified the way that people bought. So suddenly business people could buy occupancy solution. Just five years ago, I needed to pick out the sensors, the protocol. Where's the data going to go? Does it go to the cloud or not? Who's going to build the applications? What does this data mean? So we, we, we did all of that. So we had a catalog of 20 pre-built solutions. Um, I, we talked about earlier, you know, my pedigrees, financial services, insurance, healthcare, so is my partners. We chose commercial real estate while IOT, IOT will be everywhere. It'll be in healthcare. It'll be on the human body. It'll be in our cars. It'll be in space. It'll be in shopping. It'll be in, in uh, higher education. But we chose commercial real estate because it's unregulated and it is the typically the most expensive thing on your income statement after your payroll. And so within commercial real estate, we looked and we said, okay, there's the building owners, there's the occupiers, and there's the people that take care of the building. And within that, it turns out that people that take care of the building, the Sodexos, the Aramarks, the CBREs, they have the most to gain by bringing these efficiencies into the building. So our business was chugging along very nicely. We were growing by Q4 of 2019, we had an explosive quarter. And in Q1 of 2020, the unthinkable happened. Nobody ever imagined that the world would stop on its axis totally yeah, because of, 
virus, other than if you were watching, you know, a, a, a Hollywood movie. Exactly. And, and we were no exception. My investors dried up, my pipeline dried up, existing customers backed out of contracts. And one of our solutions uh, is an indoor asset tracking, um, Karen. It's we, we, we do it up until now, mostly in UK hospitals. We're getting ready to do it in many hospitals in the US now. We do indoor asset tracking, hospital beds, wheelchairs, infusion machines, ventilators, where are they? It's amazing how many people hoard wheelchairs, especially maternity, because they're not gonna let them go. People can't get discharged out of a hospital without a wheelchair. Where's that critical ventilator right now? Where are they real time? The amount of wasted energy looking for these things. So that was one of our flagship products in healthcare. Again, doing it very low cost. You've always been able to do that with RFID, but expensive infrastructure, expensive to put in. And we come in, we're disruptively cheap, 80% cheaper than RFID and up and running in a week. Like it blows people's minds. So COVID hit and GlaxoSmithKline reached out to Microsoft, who's one of our most strategic partners. And they said, we notice you have a company, a partner, Microshare, that's doing indoor asset tracking. Do you think we could use that for contact tracing? To put this in perspective, this is the week of March 16th of 2020. Um, I would argue that the week of March 16th, nobody on this podcast has ever heard of contact tracing. None right. of us knew what it was. Um, by April 26th, we were on the front page of the Financial Times oh. globally with GlaxoSmithKline, and it was for our contact tracing. What is it? Well, we were tracking where wheelchairs and infusion machines are inside a hospital. The core technology was there. The difference is that those two, the, the wheelchair and the infusion machine don't necessarily care how close they are to one another. We discovered that we, with minor modification to our software, we were able to take our proximity of devices and overlap them in a way that we could get pretty precise on how close things were. And what that meant was that the World Health Organization came out and, and here was another new one for us. What's a contact event? Well, the World Health Organization defined it for us. A contact event is within two meters, roughly six feet, for more than 10 minutes. So if two people are closer than six feet for more than 10 minutes, we would record a contact event. Now, at the same time, Google and Apple had just announced a contact tracing app on your phone. And it got a lot of fanfare, mm -hmm. but it, it, right after that, there was huge global pushback and the pushback was all around privacy. Do I really want my employer to have an app on my phone that tells them who I'm having contact events with, whether it be my employer, my college university, my, uh, a mine or a power plant, do I really want that? And, and so, very quickly after people thought about contact tracing and they absorbed that concept, we immediately got into the privacy discussion. The other thing that happened is that it turns out that, first of all, we all know this, that at least half the population doesn't have a smartphone. That's a problem for economic reasons. And then when you look at lots of environments, pharmaceutical manufacturing being one of them, military installations, nuclear power plants, you're not allowed to have your smartphone with you you have to put it in the locker before you go to work. So how could we create a contact tracing solution that didn't invade your privacy, that worked in any environment? Well, it turns out that our software and our, our bundling of solutions fit right into that. 
So our solution is a wearable, either a wristband or a lanyard or an armband. It tracks you anonymously. I don't know that Karen went out for a cigarette break. I don't know how often you're going to the restroom. I have no idea how, how frequently, how much time you spend in the, in the cafeteria. All I track is your contact events. And if you had a contact event with somebody that tested positive. So for example, suppose you and I had a contact event at work and I suddenly come down with COVID. I call in sick. My employer says, okay, what was Ron's badge number? They go and they look and they say, what other badge numbers did Ron have a contact event with? You get contacted by HR and they say, Karen, somebody that you were in touch with in the last two weeks tested positive for COVID. We'd like you to go home and get tested. And so now I can isolate a subset of my employees and send them home to get tested. The other thing we do, which is, an, is a value add, not everybody does it, but most do, is we also track where Ron's been. So now the fact that Ron tested positive, where in my facility has he been? So I can see that he's been using this restroom, his cubicle or his offices are here. This is the conference room he's using. And this is the corner that he typically uses in the cafeteria. So now they use that data to isolate and deep clean just part of the facility, not uh, deep clean. Oh, yeah. So we uh, we quickly, because of this, we made the front page of the New York Times twice last year, Fast Company, Inc. Magazine, all the, all the usual suspects. We ended up, some of the biggest companies in the world um, bought this product. They initially, some interesting points here, they initially bought them for 12-month contracts. We do what we call sensing as a service. You don't buy our product, you subscribe to it. So you get the hardware, the software, everything's ready to go. We ship it to you, you install it, and then we charge you a monthly fee and you sign up for 12, 24, 36, or 60 months. Almost all of our business has been 36 and 60 months up until COVID. With COVID, people thought this was going to be temporary. So they, they signed 12-month contracts. Without exception right now, every contact tracing customer is renewing. Yeah. Twelve months. Yeah. By the way, our customers are the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world. What's that, what does that tell you about where we are in, in COVID right now. So the, 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 we have one customer uh, in North America sent us an email that's probably the best email you can ever, ever, ever get as a CEO. Um, we had COVID in our plants. We lost an employee to COVID. We bought your solution. Since then, we've had a couple break, uh, outbreaks. We've been able to track immediately who was affected. And because of you, we've saved lives. Oh, wow. Wow. And I think that also, you know, one of the things I think the pandemic has taught, at least, you know, people that are aware and awake and and conscious, is that um, people are the company's biggest assets. It's not the real estate that their building's in or they're planning on putting on, you know, building a building or a facility and this stuff or the machinery or the trucks that they use to make and deliver the products. It's the people. And if people are your biggest asset, are those st- stakeholders, and you mentioned this example, are those stakeholders waking up to the need for the solution that MicroShare offers that it's not just about protecting their people, but also I think earning and restoring the trust of their customers, and employees as they start to reopen up. So, you know, how, how, is, how does that work? Do you think it's, are you getting some stuff from like colleges and other places on this or, 
you know, are people still sort of just sort of like in a phase and not really sure what to do next? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Karen. And, and the answers are all across all across the gamut. I mean, uh, we've been pleasantly surprised at how some big global fortune companies immediately got it and moved into action. There's also big companies that you think would get it and it couldn't be more disappointing. They talk about, well, it wasn't in the budget. Well, no kidding, it wasn't in the budget. COVID wasn't on the plan, right? They talk about uncertainty and they form committees. And you know, we had a challenge uh, in 2020 and actually it's still happening now. Everybody wants to talk to us. Everybody wants to talk to us. The reason they want to talk to us is because the CEO probably said, hey, go find out about this. <laughs> yeah. The amount of tire kickers out there that aren't ready to take action is really alarming. And, and to put it in perspective, our contact tracing solution is cheaper than a cup of coffee a day per employee. Oh, wow. Every <laughs> company I'm talking to, every company I'm talking to has free coffee. Every one of them. They, they, I guarantee you they spend more for coffee than they would spend for contact tracing, and yet they scratch their heads and they, they, they go into paralysis analysis. So, so it's two camps, and I have great stories on both sides. Um, the good news for MicroShare is more are saying yes than no. We're seeing uh, that kind of uh, demand spike. Um, also, we're talking to college universities. We're talking to mining companies. We're talking to um, lots of people in healthcare. Uh, they're doing a, a study over here in the UK uh, through the University of Leeds. It's been well documented. They're putting our contact tracing on nursing home patients. Well, that's going to be my next thing I was going to ask about. It seems like it would be such a an obvious thing, particularly now that we, well, we'll get into about US versus everywhere else, but it's like, yeah, but, you but, know, but budgets for that, that, right? Nursing homes have been ravaged by flus for decades. Yeah. One person yeah. in the nursing home gets the flu, they lose 30% of their, their population. So now being able to, so again, it's this realization that contact tracing has legs well beyond COVID-19. And, and, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but, but this kind of technology we think is part of the foundation for what's going to be a, the permanent change as we come out of the, uh, out of the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, as more and more, the, the term contact tracing has become more, I guess, common, if you will. Right. Um, and then, you, you know, you, you raised, you're still considered kind of a startup, even though you've got this great success and you raised a bunch of money. Are you competing with other startups since this is sort of a new concept or I saw the announcement with Apple and Google and their joint venture, are they a competitor or are they providing a ubiquitous platform that companies can lay your solution in on? Or how does, how does that work for you in your marketplace? Um, so far, they, they would be a competitor. Really, the whole world, specifically as it relates to contact tracing, everything else that we do is, is a different answer. But just for contact tracing, it really comes down to two solutions. It's either, are you going to use your smartphone or not? If you're going to use your smartphone, there's lots of lots of competitors out there. And that's not us. We're a non-smartphone solution for the two reasons I described earlier. Either smartphones, you don't have them or they're not allowed. Or secondly, because people care enough about privacy that they're not going to mix those two things together. Within the, the, um, the non-smartphone version, there are some people out there that are using GPS, for example, and things like that. But when you combine our, you know, three to five year battery life, our disruptively low cost, 
our ability to deliver at scale right now. We didn't have to make anything new. It was literally just minor uh, enhancements to our software. So, you know, we're using off the shelf Bluetooth devices, LoRaWAN devices, routers, those types of things. So, so we, we are really uh, in a very unique place as it relates to contact tracing. Hence the, we actually host a contact tracing users group right now. And it boasts several Fortune 500 clients from around the world who are now sharing best practices. For example, one of our clients, you know, we started out reactive. Hey, what about, uh, you know, tracking how many people have contact? But one of our global clients started looking at the data and they said, wow, we never realized that people in the mailroom are quintessential super spreaders. If someone <laughs> in the mailroom were to get COVID, it would bring this entire factory down. And so they re-engineered processes. Ah. So they started taking a proactive approach to making their environment a healthier place. Oh, by the way, the same problem if that employee has the flu and comes into work and now probably knocked out half of your staff for, for 10 days as a result. So going from reactive to proactive um, are, are some of the cool things that we're doing with contact tracing. On the rest of the solutions, occupancy, predictive cleaning, air quality, which is becoming a really big deal right now in a post-COVID world, and using CO2 as a proxy for how frequently the air is being refreshed and being able to create a score, simple score, red, yellow, green. Green, come on into this, this building, come into this room. Yellow, if you can stay out, stay out. Red, don't even think of coming in, right? Using CO2 as as a indicator of how healthy that space is and all those solutions karen right now there are people that do single solutions better than us there are people that do occupancy better there are people that do refrigeration monitoring better there are people that do smart parking better but what's unique about us because of our pedigree we started out as a platform we ingest data from all these sources and create a single view i like to say people don't want any more smart stuff they want a smart building. Yeah. How many more apps do you have on your phone for your smart home? I know. Your Roomba, your smart switches, your thermostat, your stove, your security system, your, you know, it's like, no, 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 your Lutron lighting. No, no, no. Just give me one button that says away. And it turns the thermostat down. It turns the lights off. Make sure the dog's in the house, locks the doors. You know, we, we don't, we're getting inundated with too many smart gadgets. And what we need is smart buildings, smart solutions. So we do have competition in what I call the one hit wonders. When you look at the entire suite of solutions, you know, companies like Microsoft and IBM have identified MicroShare and they will say the clear leader right now in the space. People are going to catch up. Amazon's going to get into this space in a serious way. That's good and bad. They dominate any space they get in, but they also legitimize a market. And so um, we're we're really in the right place at the right time, but we're running as hard and fast as we can. Our techno we have a great technology roadmap. We have a dream and a vision about how simple this technology gets to use and how ubiquitous the data coming off of it makes it actionable for people to understand. So we're we're running hard and fast, but right now there's competition out there, but we we seem to be ahead of the pack. Yeah. So you're offering sensors that not only are the, it's a different sensor for track and tracing, for example, than a sensor that measures CO2 output in a building or something or That's some right. of the other things, right? So you, right. you are integrating all of that different stuff in the silo of solutions that you offer up to businesses 
to be able to figure out what they need to keep their business running efficiently and their employees engaged. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, so okay. you know, I, it typically the tip of the spear is always occupancy. If people aren't showing up in your building, well, what are you worried about? Right. And people showing up is why the air filters need to be changed. And people showing up is why facilities need to be cleaned. And people showing up is why I need to buy energy and I need to staff security. I need to staff parking. I need to staff the cafeteria. So it all starts with people. And then with people, how do I make sure that I have a safe environment for them to come to? And there's been a lot of press about this lately. Um, you know, smart building technology has been around for a long time. And as I described our business in Q4 of 2019, we were plugging along really very nicely. I was very excited about the future, but it was going to take a while. And, and the, the numbers vary a little bit, but the general consensus, Karen, is that COVID probably, ex probably accelerated IoT technology by about 10 years. Wow. Yeah. There was an immediate, you know, people used to think, well, gee, that's clever. Tell me about the ROI. Well, let me understand that a little bit better. Well, you know, and now all of a sudden with COVID, first of all, with clean equals safe, I have employees showing up tomorrow in an essential operation. How do I make it as safe as possible? I don't have time to go through all the various analysis. I need to take action today. And now that people are coming back to work in whatever form that may take, people are now pressed for, I need to take action. Whether it be college universities finally saying, look, in September, we're gonna be predominantly all in person. Okay, what does that mean? Offices, whether it be Facebook or Apple or Google or you know, high tech firms or, or even regional real estate firms and, and retail operations. Okay, we're now opening up, hotels opening up again. What does that mean? How, what are people's expectations coming into this new, uh, the, these, the, these new environments, knowing what we know today about what can happen. So all of that has rapidly accelerated and it's, it's really been fun to be part of. Oh, by the way, there's still a few laggards out there that still just want to kick the tires and learn and God bless them. I think COVID will be a defining moment where we'll look back five years from now and we'll look at some pretty big companies that just failed the grade yeah. and maybe didn't survive. Yeah, because they didn't take care of their employees right. They didn't take care of their their stakeholders correctly in general, and um, and, and it's amazing how yeah. big bureaucracy can get in the way of a lot of these these companies. Well, and also I think there's been a, a element of denial that still lingers on today, even though you know we're living with what we're living with and and what we have lived with. That you can just you know if you can just look around and see what it's done, right? So absolutely. So as we start to wrap up, when we were talking earlier. You know, we were comparing about, and this is something I thought was really profound in the way life changed and what became the new normal and comparing it to this devastating event that even though it primarily that time it happened in, uh, in the United States, but it had a ripple effect throughout the way business and everything was conducted, travel, money, everything that was done after 9-11, right? This particular event with this pandemic has affected the entire world. And some of them, some countries are not at, not recovering as strong as in the United States for a whole lots of different reasons. And we also, you know, media in the United States might be painting a rosier picture than what we're what we're dealing with here. So, as we start to to kind of wrap up here, it, for the investors and the entrepreneurs that are out there, what are some kind of 
self-assessment or sort of like thought-provoking questions that would be like, what will be, how will business run? How will you run your business? I want to take the, tell the investors to look at the portfolio, what they've invested in and do the, and think about this for the future of those businesses and those industries. Talk a little bit about what some of the insights that you've seen, you know, in your travels as well, and what you're doing and talking to all of these co companies and government entities and everybody that you're talking to about your, what MicroShare is doing and the problems that it's solving and, and the, and what the impact that's having on, how people see the future. Sure, sure. So, you know, nobody imagined that we could take an airplane and use it as a missile and fly it into a building. And that shocked the world. And people talked about air travel coming back, but it never went back to what it was on September 10th of that year. Mm -hmm. You used to be able to walk to the gates with your loved ones. You used to be able to bring bottles of water or scotch onto the yeah. airplane with <laughs> yes. whatever you wanted. Um, and, 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 and you used to be able to meet people at the airport and all have dinner behind security uh, before they would, they would really fly. And, and people talked about getting back, getting back. Well, it took a decade, but now there's a permanent infrastructure globally that's never going away. And we all know the drill, whether we're leaving from Dubai or London or New York, take your laptop out, take your shoes off, take your belt off, go through the metal detector. We, we, we as a planet, perfected this new infrastructure in society that now is just part of our everyday life. So when we looked at, at COVID-19, we had the same questions. Nobody ever imagined that the whole world would stop. And we immediately reacted with all of these immediate solutions for COVID-19 contact tracing and, and deep cleaning and environmental monitoring. But now as we start to the, the familiarity also is so many people are saying, okay, are we coming back? Are we coming back? What does back mean? We're never going back to December, 2019. We're, that's never happening. So what is that new infrastructure that's gonna be in place? So you hear a lot about hybrid workplace. Okay, that seems pretty simple on the, on the surface. People are gonna spend some more time working from home than usual, got it. Does that mean everybody shows up on Wednesday? And nobody shows up on Mondays and Fridays, which, by the way, defeats the purpose of hybrid workplace. And so on Wednesdays, I need to pay overtime to security, cafeteria, cleaning staff, and I can lay people off on Mondays and Fridays. We're also seeing now a world talking about, are you vaccinated or not? Mm -hmm. Two classes of citizens. Very politicalized in the United States. In the rest of the world, it's happening. Israel already has a vaccine passport. Without that passport, you're not getting in Israel. If you're in Israel, you're not getting into theater, restaurants, office buildings. Here in Europe, they've just announced that Americans that have a vaccine passport will be allowed into their country, even though Europeans can't travel within the country. So, so now I've got these two classes of citizens. I've got hybrid workplace. I've got um, new technologies coming in. And if I'm an investor, I want to look and say, how does this affect the businesses that I'm in right now? And, and something you and I talked about earlier, Karen, uh, that I stated, anybody that tells you they know what's going to happen is simply wrong, either intentionally or just misinformed. Right. Because the, even today, it was in the press that Apple's employees are pushing back pretty significantly about coming back to work, that they want to maintain a very aggressive hybrid workplace. 
70% of employees in a survey that was out just in the last 30 days, 70% of employees in the US are considering changing jobs, 70%. Because if you as an employer don't recognize and accommodate and think about how to blend all these new lifestyle, these new priorities together in some fashion, right now employers, as and we know this from all the press right now, for the first time in more than a decade, we're in an employee economy. Right? Employees hold the upper hand to the employers. So when I think about uh, investment, um, you know, obviously SaaS continues to be key. You want to look for monthly recurring revenue. The idea of one and done sales, I think, as a business model is fundamentally flawed. You need to be able to build incremental revenue accumulating over time. So MRR, ARR, things like that. I think uh, any type of product or service that can effectively recruit and retain people in this environment. And retention is a really big deal. And the minute you get into retention, everything that we just talked about, I think begins to be in play here. Um, and, and, and finally, just from an investor and an investment perspective and, and, and the, the, both the investor and the, and the companies, um, you know, take all this complexity and then throw in the, in the fact that we're in a 2% interest rate world. Money is almost free. If you have a lot of money, you've got a real challenge. What do you do with it? Where do you put it? You know, FDIC insurance only caps you out so high. I mean, so, so, so entrepreneurs out there, here's a clear message. The investors, they need you a lot. But let me also talk to the entrepreneurs. It's up to you to get a really tight business model, understand MRR, understand the metrics of your growth, understand how you're going to recruit and retain key employees. And if you do that, it's going to be a real win-win situation, I think, uh, for, for angel investors. Another cautionary flag I throw out to the investor community, especially angel and early stage, be very weary of the fact that high net worth family offices and private equity are coming down the food chain. Mm-hmm. For that same problem I described about a 2% interest rate, yep. you're a family office with a billion dollars under management what the heck do you do with your 50 million that's your alternative investment or better yet your 200 million that's an alternative investment there just aren't enough deals out there so they're coming down looking at deals that they wouldn't have looked at five years ago private equity the same thing so you know it it gets to be a crowded space for the angel and for the uh for the family offices and the private equity and i would say so so both to the angels and to the uh to the entrepreneurs, try to find angels that can do more than give you money. Somebody that has strategic relationships, somebody that's willing to help you uh, get introductions. Um, Because money's money at the end of the day, money with introductions and distribution, that's, that's how you begin picking the right investor in this environment. Absolutely. Well, that you said it all right there. <laughs> That's why we do this show, folks. This is why we are focused on creating wealth through funding innovation. And, and from that, that creates the jobs that, that fuels our economy. And then everybody gets richer along the way. The investors, the founders, and those employees that now have good paying jobs and, uh, and, and it just is a ripple effect. That's a compassionate capitalism. So, uh, Ron, thank you so very much for being on the show today and sharing your insight. I want to tell everybody, please go to microshare.io, M-I-C-R-O, 
S-H-A-R-E dot I-O for those that are just listening or watching and not seeing the, sh the show notes. The link is in the show notes. And look at that. They do, they have like this real turnkey, simple setup for how you can get started. They've got white papers. They've got all kinds of information that you can, um, and they got a little, uh, an intelligent chat box that will answer questions of, of folks. And so I just make sure you go out there and learn more about this, see if it will benefit your solution or benefit someplace that uh, a company that you're advising, a company that you might be investing in, because this is how we get back to, we find our new normal sooner than later. And it doesn't take 10 years to figure out that I've got to dump out my water bottle before I get on the plane. So, all right. And with that, onwards and upwards, please also visit karenrands.co. Go there to get an excerpt or figure out how to order the book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing. There's uh, 12 of the 44 secrets are, are shared there and explained as one of our my little tidbits, my teasers. And with that book, you get a resource portal to help you with making those investment decisions as well. So thank you very much, Ron, again, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And we will talk again about some of those other things we discuss. Thanks, Karen. It's been a lot of fun. Really appreciate the questions. Thanks. Okay.